Hey, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to drop a comment. Um, we're going to be talking to Mark Check, and he's got this assignment to speak into and to help 4 billion lives on earth, which is amazing and you're going to love it. But one thing you'll notice about this episode is the footage is not great. Mark's is great, but on my side, where we've got team, um, you know, a studio and lots of equipment, on this episode, the footage does not look great. But here's the lesson. It doesn't matter from time to time. The content is still really, really valuable. And here's what I'd love you to catch. It is process over perfection. There will be times when it's not great, and I'm happy to put this out to show you that it can sometimes not be great. But the process of continually putting out content and being consistent is what wins. So if I'm not gonna get hung up with my content, you shouldn't get hung up with yours. All right, let's get to the episode. Well guys, welcome back to the podcast. This episode is gonna be fantastic. I've got Mark Check with me today who has got a phenomenal story. Uh, and one of the things I like to do to these podcasts, I wanna bring people with a slightly different perspective. And what Mark's got, as we'll uncover on this episode, is an interesting dynamic where he is uh, the senior pastor or a senior pastor of a significant church on the East Coast of Australia, but by choice has decided to go and build a phenomenal business and a significant business making a really big impact at the same time. So I wanted to bring that to you because it's a different perspective to either pure minister, if you like, and a pure entrepreneur. And we're gonna weave those two together. And I think you're gonna find that any division between sacred and secular is gonna get smashed here as Mark blends these two together. Um, all right, so strap in, this one is gonna be amazing. Hey Mark, why don't you tell the people on our stream today, who is Mark Check? Oh, that's a very awkward question to um, open with. and. Um, no one typically wants to talk about themselves, um, but I'll, I'll skirt around the edges and I'll let you fill in the gap or poke or prod if you want to go a little bit deeper. But look, you know, I'm in my late fifties, three, three beautiful kids, two of them are married, uh, five grandkids, uh, one expectant in, in the next few months, um, married to Darlene, who's a well-known uh, global worship leader and um, and that's been an interesting journey in itself um, to live with somebody who is world famous um, that, that'll test your uh, sense of identity and ego and all those sorts of things while still trying to you know be true to yourself and make your own mark um, as you said Wes uh, Darling and I lead a church called Hope You See um, we have uh, six campuses here in Australia, right in this particular region, the Central Coast Hunter, um, Port Stephens. And then there's, um, we have three affiliated churches in America and then four churches in India of all places. And so that's pretty well represents our life as well, how that how it's gone over the last few decades. Um, Nashville, I heard, you got, a, you got a campus there in Nashville? We have a campus in Nashville, which is a very, very, it's in, um, a suburb called Thompson Station. I've uh, been there a number of times, um, which is just sort of outside of Franklin. So even though it's, you know, people refer to it as Nashville, it's not sort of in downtown Nashville or such, but it's a, they're, they're doing amazing things. Dustin and Gina Smith lead that church and they're doing an incredible job. And dust, you know, that region has been a hotbed of, of, of churches. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's quite a few failures as well. Um, so we're trying to do something a little bit different there and build a real community-based church 
in that area and they're doing a fantastic job. Do you like country music? Uh, do I like country music? Um, well, I like Keith Urban. I don't know whether that qualifies. Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, and I wouldn't say I love country music, but I've got a good friend of mine, a lady called Jane Denham, who actually is quite successful in the country music scene here in Australia. She's very, but I like her music as well. Well, just for the record, I love country music. So if we ever have a business event in Nashville, I'll be the first one to be there. Um, all right. So I, I want to explore first off this, this choice to be bivocational, right? So you, you've got this thriving church, you know, six campuses and growing because you stumbled on when you said six. So there must be more in the pipeline. I picked that up. Um, and, then you've, and then you've got this thriving media company with big headcount and, and big projects and working for clients that we would all know here in Australia. T take me back to the decision you made to be bivocational. When, when, when did you make that? Did it come out of revelation? What happened for you to choose to intentionally do that? Well, look, it, 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 it was a struggle. I have to be just brutally frank. And, and when I was having these challenges, I'll, I'll call them challenges, about what to do do ministry or do business. Um, I'd never heard, even heard of the term bivocation. I didn't even understand what that meant um, because I'd always been thought and read in a lot of the readings, you know, you've got to stay focused. You've got to do the one thing. You've got to just got to build your life towards this thing. And so to some degree, I always felt guilty. Whenever I was doing ministry, um, which I loved, um, working full-time, by the way, in, in a church system or something like that, I loved it, um, but at the same time, there was always a hankering mm. for trying to do something else. So what happened is several times in my life, I flipped and I flopped. So I worked in a, in a marketing career, um, which I loved. And then I, I thought, no, I want to do, I want to become a pastor. I want to do ministry. I quit and I went to work at a church. Um, my first go, I lasted about a year. And then I was like, this is not for me. This is not what I thought it would be. So I quit working at the church and I went back into the marketplace. I did that for another big, long stretch. And pretty much, you know, I felt like the Holy Spirit nudged me and say, Mark, you need to go and work um, at the church again. And I was like, okay. So um, during that time, by the way, um, I'd had a career uh, working for large in international corporates, you know, in marketing and sales. Um, in the meantime, Darlene and I started a motorcycle um, parts company on the side. That was our, which now has a term. That's now, um, you know, what do they call that? A, a side, a side gig. Side hustle. Yeah. Side hustle. Sorry. Yes, I'm still learning all the phrases, the new phrases. Um, we had a side hustle, which we had a couple of full-time employees in that business, um, and. Um, and eventually I, I finished working for that international company and then went to work for myself um, in that business where we imported parts from Japan and Europe and sold them into motorbike shops in Australia and, and also did some manufacturing locally as well. It was a whole lot of fun. Um, but again, I got to a point where I was like, I love working for myself. I love working for my own business. You know, there's a... There's a um, a pathway for our whole family here. Um, but again, I just felt compelled to work at a church. Like I said, I felt like the Holy Spirit nudged me to say, um, give the business away and go and work at the church, which was crazy at the time. And there was a particular friend of ours that found himself in a particular predicament 
and so we he needed he needed something so we we gifted him the business and i went to work back at the church again on the very first day of working at the church um they held an all-day prayer meeting and so <laughs> i went to the office and um i sat there and by the by about halfway through the day i was like god what did you do why am i here this isn't what i i expected you know, I thought I could work on the ministry. And here we are spending all day sitting on our backsides praying. Um, not that that prayer is a bad thing. And that is a very effective thing. But I just didn't feel like that's what I could do, bring the best. So to be honest, I then worked at the church a long time. But I had all of these sort of energy and frustrations in the inside of me. Dreams and ideas for businesses. I'd, I'd give them away. People, I'd say, you should do this. This is a good business. Um, and so, you know, gave lots of those things away. And then, and funny enough, what happened was I was at a particular conference, the guest speaker um, was a guy called TD Jakes. And something happened. He, he spoke and was being interviewed. And he said, um, the person interviewing says, oh, so you're a pastor, you're a film producer, you're an author, you're a property developer um and the question was asked yeah i get all that you do all of those things but what's your calling what's the one thing that you're called to and he says i'm not going to answer that question he says i'm called to all of those and it honestly set something free on the inside of me um and i went oh my goodness i could do both i could do ministry and um you know be in the marketplace all at the same time and it just nothing changed physically for me um in that sense but it freed something up on the inside that um really allowed me to be where we are today which is as you said um we're really proud of, of building a great company um that's got a whole bunch of people and doing all sorts of uh, you know i'm not saying it's because i'm doing it because i'm not there much but uh, you know that we've got this business that really is missional in its true sense but at the same time it's a for-profit company mm. At the same time, you know, still being just as jazzed and excited about building a local community-based church. Oh, hey, I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. Listen, I'm just here training a group here in this room, but I need you to subscribe to my channel. Guys, do you think they should subscribe to the channel? Yeah! Guys, please, subscribe. What your story cracks open for me is... Um, is this concept that actually it, this is not about tasks. Um, it, it's about identity. And, you know, like, um, like the way that I've said it in the past is um, I'm a full-time minister that finds myself doing X. Yeah. So it, it could, because, because you're, not a, you're not a minister in, with one hat and not a minister with another. Yeah, and, and the reason why you can't be is because you can't be a part-time Christian. Yeah. Right. You, you, you can be you can be a full time Christian or you can be zero, but you can't be part time. And so and so the, the role of minister, it just looks different. Right. That's the beauty of this revelation is that you can be a minister on Monday, pastoring somebody in the congregation and helping them through some challenges. You can be a minister on Tuesday in the boardroom with your team of 30, casting some vision on, you know, doing an acquisition or something like same, same anointing, same yeah. function. But, but kind of different environment and um I don't, I don't feel confused no other people say to me how do you do it how do you separate everything in, my, in your mind i went well that's probably 
you don't quite understand because I'm yeah. not separating anything. It's There's all, nothing to separate. That's all in one. I'm a uh, minister when I'm talking to my daughters. Yeah. I'm a minister when I'm at the office. Yeah. I'm a minister when I'm spending time with my wife. I'm a minister yeah. when I go to church and help out. Yeah. Look, you know, to help, because I know that there was a whole generation of Bible teaching that was, you know, portrayed in many churches around the world, which was there's kings and there's priests. Yeah. And uh, look, I get that, the logic to that theology, but basically what pastors did is they said, you're either one of the other. And, um, and I just, I, I suppose I want to put it on the record and say, you can be both. Yeah. Um, I don't know that everyone's called to be bivocational. That to me is still something that's got a big question mark over it. Go, is that, is that a calling for everyone to be bivocational? I don't, I can't say strongly yes or no to that. Um, but I do, because even on our church team, you could imagine then if we're darling and I the lead pastors, then there may be the expectation that everyone should be bivocational. Yeah. And in my experience, that's not been the case, is that some do understand that revelation and have a calling for that, where others are just called to be a priest. And, and I also support that and acknowledge that. It's about 4% of the body of Christ are called permanently, like funded by the vocational church. And there's 96% who will be bivocational to some degree, whether it's, whether it's run my own business or work in a job or raise children or, you know, like they're, they're still going to have to delineate. But I guess that the bit that I really wanted to draw out from you in this conversation was that you don't see them as separate. So, no, so if there's a single parent, let's say mum raising some children and then goes to church on Sunday, that she's not a different person in those two locations. A business owner that happens to sit on the board of a church doesn't see them as two hats. It's one person that brings their anointing, gifting talents to different realms, depending on where they find themselves. Look, my job, I feel, is to help. If you really study um, Ephesians, when it talks about the body of Christ, um, it was a revelation to me um, when we when we started leading this church is that every joint supplies. So that means there's just not some that do the leading or some that do the work and others just get dragged along. Every joint supplies. So my job, you know, I'm, I've got to provide leadership and vision and all these sorts of things. But at the same time, I think my primary job as the pastor is actually to release um, the the vision that's in those people um, and 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 figure out how that joins into us as a community of faith. So if they're a, a an entrepreneur, a businessman, well then I, my job is to go how how do I support, undergird, release, teach, train, bring spiritual principles into their their endeavors. Um, other people are called to be school teachers, homemakers, whatever. Well, then again, how do I help support them be the best that they can be? And if I can do that, well, then we are building, I believe, a church that Jesus would be proud about. And I think you guys do that incredibly well. <clears throat> As an onlooker, like I'm, I'm not a member of your church, I've spoken there, but you guys validate the call to business uh, in an incredible way. And, and you've built an infrastructure with Dave Balestri, who we've had on the podcast in the past, like him, him being there to kind of lean into the business people, which I think is just a phenomenal investment that you've done. Oh, he's, look, he's a gifted apostolic leader in his own right. Um, but darling, I very proud of the fact that you know um he's he's decided to follow us and mm. our leadership in our church um 
but it just goes to show the quality of the individual. And I think also the calling that's on his life, which is obviously in the prophetic, but not only the prophetic, but the marketplace. And so again, you know, to have a champion like him building our, you know, um, center of excellence, which is all about coaching marketplace people, how to be spiritual in their roles. Um, because again, you know, you don't, you just don't become less spiritual as you walk out of the church building and then go, well, now I've got to think about commerce. I've got to think about paying bills, yeah. you know, selling things. Um, actually, you can bring your spirituality into all of those places. So he's, he's a champion. Yeah, I just think you need to go and talk to him about his shoes and maybe maybe deliver him a little bit from that that demonic obsession that he's got. His, his feet are too big for those shoes that he wears. Okay, well, I'm hoping to bring some unhealthy persecution to him uh, just to try and try and rebuke that evil spirit. But if you don't know what we're talking about and just uh, just go and just go and Google Dave Balestri from from social media and you'll see he puts a photo up of his insanely long feet and terrible shoes on a regular basis. So, hey, I want you to take me back to early years of Christian TV because you were there. You were one of the pioneers. You know, I hear stories um, about, you know, you kind of being on the ground with early music pioneer in Australia, with with TV, with because I, th I think you are, you know, you are buying airtime off Channel 7 or 9, one of our major TVs, putting Christian content early in the morning. Take me back to those eras. Who was it? Who were the, who were the global superstars that you were running shows for and what were those years like? Yeah, well, that's... Um a big story, but, and a long journey because, you know, globally, you know, if I put, cause I know where, the, where most of your audience are based, but in Australia, globally, Australia had a very anti-Christian culture inside secular television. So to place a program, a Christian program on one of the free to air channels um, was, I would say impossible. Um, you had, you know, some embedded issues like, like you know, our programs, I should say, like Hour of Power, they've been there forever. Um, but that that was because of a friend of a friend and a handshake and all these sorts of things. So to actually place a program on, on Australian television was difficult. Channel 9, Channel 7, typically what they did in the early, early days was they, they said to get rid of all of these irritating Christians that want to put programs on TV will... And part of the Australian code of practice at the time was we have to allocate some airtime for Christian programs. And this was in the old days, they called it Christian Television Australia or CTA, um, where that was divvied up some airtime amongst all the channels. They would also then throw you a bone and give you a little bit of production time. And then there was obviously then there was the political race trying to merge every denomination into about three time slots a year. Um, and so I was part of that. I was on the board for CTA for many, many years, trying to wrestle that, trying to get more time, trying to get more help, um, trying to resolve the, the church um, um, pull and push in all those spaces, which wasn't easy. Um, but we did some good things. And eventually we we sort of found a good groove for ourselves, which was around the Easter and Christmas specials and doing some things around that. And that was a lot of fun. And we, I think we had a lot of impact, but again, of course, larger churches, bigger ministries wanted to um, rightly wanted to put their mark in that space. So long, long story is that um, I, I believe it's a, it's a God connection is there was a retired uh, gentleman, a Jewish man 
that worked for Conrad Black. Um, you know, for some people that may not mean much. Um, he's a guy that's probably, he's been in and out of jail since, um, since then. Um, but he was at the time the largest, he was the Rupert Murdoch of the day. He owned more TV stations around the world than any other single individual or corporation. Um, and their CEO um, was, a, was a fellow, um, that David, who retired from the company. But of course, a guy like David Mintz, he, um, he couldn't sit on his hands. So he went and started a business. He knew there was an opportunity of trying to place Christian programs on secular programs, which had had some impact in the US in those years. And they were definitely ramping up um, to some degree in Europe, um, that, uh, zero in Asia, and typically there would be the one or two exceptions in Australia, but there was, there was no open doors for that. Um, and so David um, helped me, to be honest. He was in his 80s at the time, and he knew that I was trying to help, you know, one or two different churches trying to get on television in Australia. He said, look, Mark, I'll, I'll draft you through. And so he did. And so we, we cracked the door open and we got one program on at like five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday on Network 10. And basically over the years, we've been able to inch that forward and move that forward. Um, David unfortunately passed away and ha handed his business to his nephew, who him and I are very good friends as well. So that that's how we really the doors open. It's, it is a very small world. In those days, I counted, I think I counted, there was about 16 different people that made the decisions for, um, uh, you know, people like us for the whole world. And so my job was to try and get to know those 16 people and find out what the issues were, try to figure out how we could break those doors open, which we did, which I'm very, very proud about. And that we um, ended up, you know, to some degree becoming the gatekeepers of what what programs would be seen in Australia mm. and what wouldn't be. So what, pe what some people would not be aware of um, is the programs that we um, didn't, didn't allow to come on, on, the, on, the, on the air in Australia. And so try to be some sort of quality about that as well. Yeah, nice. Um, so you and I share a love for media, obviously that's, that's the company you run and that's, that's what I'm doing here, you know, <clears throat> and have done for a long time. Um, you were telling me off air just before we started about the change that's happened to you, uh, since COVID, um, pre COVID television guy. That's why I wanted to kind of start with that question. And you were telling me it was 28 minute slots, 58 minute slots, like ad breaks, like, like you had that down pat and then, and now over the last two years, maybe a slight change in perspective for you. Cause I, so kind of talk into that for us. What, what do you think the landscape is 2022, 23, 24 from a media perspective? Look, it's been an internal um, dialogue, in some cases argument between us and our clients and observers and industry pundits saying, you know, TV's dead. Um, it's all, it's all online. And, you know, that's, we've been having that conversation for a decade. But the funny thing is that, you know, what age gives you is a little bit of perspective because, you know, if you go back 20, 30, 30 years ago, there was issues back then when, um, when we talked about, um, you know, as Australians, we know um, we have five terrestrial television stations and the rest are, you know, of satellite or cable or, or streaming services. But again, when cable TV was about to come, which was having massive impact in 
in America at the time. Everyone thought free-to-air television's dead. That's all gone. Um, everyone's going to be watching cable TV. Um, kiss all of that goodbye. Um, well, of course, it didn't go goodbye. Actually, it increased its its reach. Cable TV in Australia, or satellite, I should say, it only reaches 36% of TV households in Australia. That's crazy. I mean, that's, that's low in my books. Um, that's why um, those brands have struggled. They've really struggled and had to reinvent themselves. So perspective gives you the idea that um, I always come back to this thought that you know, people say content is king. The new phrase is context is everything. You know, all these different catch cries. Let's come back to, at the end of the day, people want to consume content. How they receive it is always just the vehicle. And sometimes people get fixated on the vehicles um, rather than actually worrying about what the content does. Now, I do believe still the, the idea that you can't just make amazing content and not consider the distribution um, because that in media terms is part of the formula. Mm -hmm. You can't have one without the other. You've got to have good content. You've got to have good distribution. And for those that have well, sat in any of our presentations, we always have a third leg of that table, which is you better be thinking about how you respond um, or how you communicate or how you build an audience. Because these days, those three things are super important. Content, uh, distribution and you know connection is what we call them so th those are very very important if you're not doing one of those three three i can't i can't um understand how you could succeed or have influence is probably a better way to put it so uh, television in my view now you, you're trying to back me into a corner here to say that tv's dead and online is everything i'm not going to subscribe to that um because you know globally um, India has a viewing audience of 1.2 billion eyeballs every day. Um, it's a huge television market. It's probably the largest television market in the world. Bollywood as an industry now actually has more GDP than Hollywood as such. So people, the people are missing. There's a shift going on about where the economics are lying. Um, if you watch between the lines now that once I say this, you, you'll start to see it. When you're watching Hollywood films now, you'll start to see a nod to Indian culture. It'll be songs, dress, food, um, all sorts of things, because that is the big marketplace for, for television. Um, and that's where things are going. So yes, I've always been a believer. I still think our company was built around um, 4B Media was built around um, media is a, is a missionary tool. It can impact the world. Um, it comes back, people, you know, ask me, what, why did you come up with that name 4B? Again, if, I've got, if you can indulge me for a second, uh, there was a book, a text, an academic textbook written by a guy called Dr. Prackland out of Harvard. And he wrote a book and had a, had a theology and a logic around how to serve the poor. How do we get people out of poverty? At that time, the global population was 6 billion. I mean, he said 4 billion of those live at the bottom of the pyramid. But he went through marketplace businesses that shifted and changed their logic about how to stop, not just stop, but how not just how they can add those 4 billion as consumers of their products. 
and he went through Unilever, um, Shampoo, quite a number of companies. It's a fantastic book. So we said as a media company, we're going to go after the 4 billion people. And so that's why we call our company 4B Media. So that's a side note. You asked me another question. I'll finish in a second here. COVID, I believe, has changed everything. It is in the sense that um, people locked in their homes every day. Um, and, and, and obviously streaming has come along pre all of this. And now we're at this sort of crossover point where... Um, I think some of these streaming platforms are really going to outstrip television because most formats um, are television wise are built around a 28 minute, 30 second formula or, or in a 58 minute in the one hour that gives a couple of minutes for ads, ads and station not bumpers and IDs and all those things. But the consumers, you and me, we're changing our habits. And of course, I'm going to say something very obvious, but when we all go to watch a streaming show, nobody watch a 28 minute 30 show. They watch an hour or two or three episodes or whatever it is. They consume much more content. Well, of course, television can't necessarily deliver that. And, and of course, the in particular, YouTube as a platform I just think that has got a lot of opportunity in it. I mean, some people, I've heard comments saying, oh, it's reached its peak. I'm going, are you crazy? It hasn't even scratched the surface um, because once everyone starts to, um, you know, it becomes ubiquitous that every everything you do will be, I think, something like, look, there may be, I just don't want to speak it up too strongly because, you know, in the old days, you, we do remember MySpace. Well, of course, that disappeared. So, of course, there could be another whole platform that comes in behind YouTube. So YouTube's not the answer, but the way people are consuming content has changed yeah. for sure. Um, so, yes, I'm now adding to my bow the idea that um, these other platforms, I think, are significant and people should consider them. Mm. The challenge, of course, is that um, you know, people might find it hard to squeeze into or bring their content into those platforms. And so what they naturally do, they isolate themselves and say, well, I'll build my own platform. Thank you very much. Because then I can control everything. But of course, it's the same old logic. You know, you could build this million dollar website, but no one's going to pass through and click on your on your website. You've got to be in the middle of it all. Yeah. And that's that's my only encouragement to people. That's why I think free-to-air TV is still the most significant mission tool on planet Earth. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's crazy to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Because yeah. they said the same thing when radio was dying. Yeah. Well, it's still here today, right? Um, now, praise God, we don't use like the telegra telegram. Like we've moved, we, there are some communication tools that we don't use anymore, but... Um, interestingly, you said it's about the content distribution and how you respond. I don't know that it's ever been different. No, no absolutely not. You know, no. like you go back to the days of the wireless, there was probably content that was poorly produced and so no one listened. Yeah. And, and, or they put it on the wrong channel at the wrong time and no one, or, or they went one way communication and never built any kind of community, right? Like, like it's never been any different. I just think today, the beauty of 2022 is that we still got to produce good content. We've got to find distribution. And, and you mentioned YouTube and there's others. If there is something coming, and I think it's a long way off because it's never as fast as we think, but the, the virtual reality world 
will take YouTube kind of experience to a whole new level because you can probably attend a conference from, from your desk instead of just watching one-dimensional TV. And then how you respond. Here's the good news. I don't think it's been easier, though. I think now is the easiest time in history through all that iteration to produce content, get distribution, and respond and, and engage with the community. Now, now is the greatest era so far. Well, look, the cost of entry is ridiculously low. Well, I wanted to ask you that because you've been around from the beginning. So if yeah. I go back to those early days of Christian television, yeah. are you able to give me a number? What would it cost to produce an episode? 50 grand, 100 grand, 100, like have you got a number that goes, an episode would cost you something like this much money? Well, rather than the cost, because that, you know, you're talking about labor costs there as well, but let's, let me talk about equipment. That's yeah. probably the best way because everyone knows now what they can, how they can edit or how they can film or all these things. Um, you know, back in the, whatever it was, the early nineties, it would have been early nineties, the, the cost to buy an edit suite. Uh, well, I remember buying the very first, what I call non-linear edit suite, which means you weren't using tape machines necessarily. You were editing on a computer. It was called, the product was called a media 100. I paid, um, 70, 75,000 Australian dollars in 1992 that same technology you, you could buy for two thousand dollars today um and even then you still had to hang a, a um, broadcast quality tape machine i bought a second hand what they call beta cam sp um, tape machine which is you put one big cassette in it that cost us twenty five thousand dollars that tape machine again now you put that on a on a thumbnail on a hard drive you know, the, the, to buy what they call a three chip camera, which means I had three computer chips in it, which means the quality was remarkable. Um, now you'd look back and go, oh, that's shocking. Um, again, that, that they were close to $50,000 to buy that camera. And now they're on here. They, that's just, So the entry is ridiculously low. And, um, and I think that's the bit that I really want to make sure people hear. And, and because you've got the story, I don't have that story. You've got that story. I've arrived at a time when it was already incredibly affordable, right? Yeah. Um, but I think people take for granted the era that they find themselves in. Yeah. You know, like, like, like I'm in a studio here, it's primitive, but it, it produces this show on a weekly basis. Yeah. And, and, and if I was to do a quick count up, we're probably, we're probably like 30 grand's worth of equipment. Yeah. Like, yeah. and <laughs> that's not an episode. No. That's the equipment that we use every single week to pump out show after show after show after show. Yeah, that's right. Which is, you know, I, I would have, when I was tw 20 something, I, w I would have dreamed of those days. Yeah. You know, um, now, you know, kids are coming out of their HSC yeah. um, with serious editing and production skills, yeah. which I love. We, you know, we, we, again, we, at our company, we, we found ourselves a bit short of, you know, reasonably, skilled staff so we actually built a media school so we've got a we've got a um a program now which we call learn and earn you you come and do your diploma of screen and media you work for us for a year after that leave or stay i don't mind but you'll get paid wages um in the middle of it just to try to get a lot more um you know christian orientated people in the media industry that's our goal yeah so we, we are a missionary we, we call them we're building media missionaries so that's part of our strategy. If you have somebody come through your school and they would prefer to live somewhere warmer than where you are, you could always send them up here. We would, we would happily take them. We're, we're more than happy about that. <laughs>
Um, you said something at the start of the call that I want to go back to because I think it's really interesting. Uh, your wife, Darlene, is obviously a global singer, um, has done a wonderful job. Um, you, you know, it's funny, I'm sure, I'm sure most people have a Darlene story, but I, I got saved in a uniting church in 2004. Um, and so all we did was sing hymns, and I thought that was it for the rest of my life until some young person gave me two CDs. Uh, and, uh, and, and she was the lead on both of them. And I had no idea who Darlene was, but I, in fact, there were CDs that I put them in a Walkman. This is, this is how far back we're going. With, with the headphones that had the metal bar over the top. Yeah, and, I, and I went to bed listening to her singing worship songs for the first 12 months of being a Christian, every night. Like one way, like, like just like, like and, and it's cool for me that here we are, however many years later I'm talking to you, you know. Um, and, and made a phenomenal impact. And, and, and I still go back to those albums all these years later because they were just such a wonderful experience. And so, um, but, but what you said was really interesting. You're the husband of a global superstar in the faith. And you mentioned rationalizing your ego and your identity. And I don't want to skip over that. So can we just go back there for a minute? What was that like for you? Because it'd be very easy to be in the shadows. But, but at the same time, you're your own man with your own skills, gifts, calling, assignment. Um, how, did you, how did you walk that line with, together with Darlene? Look, the, the, I mentioned it because I know it's a, it's a tipping point for a conversation. But the reality is it's, actually, it's been really easy. I, I love her. I want the best for her. And it's obvious when you're in her presence and you listening to her, lead worship on a platform or something there's something special there's an anointing a calling a gift and you go let's just set that free but of course you know when when your partner your spouse or your your what, what becomes successful so what do you do then because then that can make you feel inadequate it can make you feel um um shallow or i'm, I'm an underachiever or do i then give myself to just serve her. Well, I think that's a shortcut as well. I just don't think that's how God has us designed. And so it, 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 was a, it was a wrestle, but only for a short season, to be honest, about how are we going to make this work? Because I've got things I feel like I need to do. At the same time, acknowledging that uh, there's something unique, special, international on her life. Um, and so to wrestle all that together, it wasn't that hard, but I mention it because I think, you know, couples sometimes get tangled in this area. They go, well, it's his business, his ministry, and they start to separate things out. Um, and, and I just don't know that it should work that way where we just threw ourselves in deep. So, you know, I was on the tour buses. I was the one you know organizing t-shirts and booking hotel rooms and getting everything sorted so i just thought oh, i'll better go with this you know and yet at the same time i'm still dreaming thinking planning actually even activating some of the business things i'm doing or some of the ministry i was doing with media you know i just thought that's who's god called me you know it was, it was i worked hard i tell you that to manage all of those but i i, I love our journey and i love how we've done it. I think it's really is a, a gift from God. And we don't take that lightly. And that influence that's still for Darlene is significant all around the world. Yeah. 
um, you know, only just a number of years ago. She was invited by the Pope to come and lead worship on the steps of the Vatican with a full orchestra with Andre Bocelli singing. And um, I remember. And, and it was just powerful. It was mm. powerful. And I just go, wow, God, there's, you know, 80,000 plus people in St. Peter's Square there. Um, what, what a significant opportunity to impact, you know, the Catholic Church, obviously, and, and the globe, because that, that was televised everywhere. Um, so um, I'm proud of it. I, I, and it's done a lot of good in me, I'll tell you that. But it's made me really fine-tune who am I? What am I good at? What should I let go? And, and, and what should I fight for? That's what it's done. And that's what I love because in that you had to figure out who you were. See, I think it would have been very easy for some people to almost just become subservient, right? And just be like, oh, I'll, maybe even there's an element of laziness in that. That's just like, oh, I'll just do this. But it would have been just as easy to possibly been competitive. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and 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 then be vying for who's pulling each other down the most, right? To to get to the top. Um, but what you've been able to do in that is basically go, no, 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 no. Like we'll support each other, but we'll also chase our individual things. And yeah. there's not a pecking order, right? Yeah. You know. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing because, like, you know, I, I, the reason why I'm talking about this with you is there's a lot of listeners who are business people who their partners maybe don't support them 100. percent um, some do and some don't, right? And it's, a, it's something I get told a lot. Yeah. I tell you what's interesting. A lot of female entrepreneurs don't get support from their, their husbands. I um, could un- and that's why I, I always sort of say that line to some degree because yeah. I want to challenge people about that and just to sort of, sort of go, look, um, you're not a smaller man yeah. because you serve your wife. Quite the opposite, actually. Yeah. I think, you know, Darlene says it. Uh, I'll, so I'll quote her, but, you know, it's a bit awkward me saying it. She says, it takes a big man to, you know, serve a successful woman. Yeah. And I, I, I do agree with that. And I think that, um, look, I learned a lot about me in the middle of all that as well. And so, you know, I could, you know, as a kid growing up, I was, I was intimidated by success. Um, I grew up in a small little you know, working class town. Bundamba. Bundamba, there you go. Bundamba, Bundamba Primary School, Bundamba High School, Bundamba TAFE. And so I didn't know anyone that went to university. Um, There was no sense of aspiration or whatever. And so when those sorts of worlds opened up to us, like I said to you, I was intimidated. Well, Darlene helped me with that, is that she could walk into the room and not be overawed. And I learnt then, as well on that journey that successful people are just people. And so I'm very comfortable now in all sorts of rooms and spaces. Um, And I credit her for that, that she's helped me with that. And so again, you know, guys, I would just challenge you that if your wife wants to look, if she wants to be an artist, if she wants to be a songwriter or whatever, it, it doesn't take anything away from you if you give yourself to help your spouse um and it works both ways um so but i I know it's an issue for some i checked a bunch of your recent sermons because you do preach um at your church i don't know how regularly but i kind of skipped through and saw a few and there's a recurring theme amongst your messages i don't know whether it's intentional or not but you've spent a lot of time recently talking about legacy and generations and thinking generationally um What's going on for you there? 
Well, it's the, definitely the theme for our church in this season of time. But but it definitely is, a, you know, there's some subjects I think that when you start diving into them, it just like comes alive. And so for me personally, that subject really resonated and, and it comes back to, I'll tell you the point that in my life that it changed is that, um, like I said to you, I, I didn't grow up in any, I didn't get any he heads up from our family or whatever. And I'm not complaining about that, but more, more to the point was, um, you know, we, 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 Darlene and I found ourselves in a place where we were really financially tight. It was survival. And I remember hearing a message where some, I was in a service sitting in a pew and someone preached saying, you better be doing something for your kids and your grandkids. And I, we looked at each other and went, we can't even think about that. We're just trying to make ends meet. We're, we, you know, we, I had a, at that time I had a, um, a side hustle. Now I'm, I'm using the correct language where I was selling kites, flying kites on, on the weekends. I, I would import them from Hawaii, um, a box at a time. And I'd go down to Bondi beach and I'd fly my kite. And, and then someone would say, that's cool. And then I go, would you like to buy one? And I go, and I say, here, hold these handles. And they go, yes, how much are they? And I'd be selling my kites and I'd sell them and get another one. And that was my side hustle. I thought this is some sort of way of trying to do something. So I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, Mark, you've got to do something that's actually going to improve your kids and your grandkids' life. Um, that's otherwise you're going to be in the same cycle that you are now. You, they're not going to be advantaged in any way, um, either with life lessons or economics or whatever. Because, you know, we, we're in, this was the 17% interest rate season in, in Australia at the time. So I thought about it a lot. And so the only thing that the answer I could figure out at that particular time was I went and bought the biggest life insurance policy that we could reasonably afford at the time, just a life cover. That's all I did, nothing else. And, and to me, it was the beginning of the legacy story for our family. And, um, and I said to Darlene, we've, we've, we've put something in motion today as a legacy. And so legacy, oftentimes people focus on what they receive, what inheritance they get. That can obviously be money, land, whatever. It could also be just, you know, books or China, a set of China set. Darlene got gifted a set of China from her grandparents. And I said, well, that's not going to help us pay the mortgage. And so anyway, we laughed about it. Um, so, you know, oftentimes people think about what they get in some cases, Hopefully, people think about what they can leave behind. But I think the more important legacy story for all of us is what do you set in motion? And, and again, that day I bought that life insurance. I set something in motion. Obviously, there was some going to be some benefit, hopefully, for our grandkids. It mightn't have been many dollars in the top, relatively speaking, but it was something. Mm. And, and again, I keep teaching our kids, um, our grandkids now. Like, you know, for example, at birthdays, um, we don't, I don't, I don't give them gifts. Darlene always buys them a gift, but I don't give them gifts. I, I put money into their stock trading account, Love which they, they all must have. Love it. Um, that's what I do. And I'm going, we're putting things in motion here. So, 
um, again, helping them think differently. These are things that I just didn't understand as a as a 19 year old yeah. i didn't even know about the stock market yeah. and so i'm just trying to say that's what legacy is about and it's not just about money it's about a way of thinking obviously rich dad poor dad that was a big transformational change um in back in the day um and there's many been many others i particularly got a lot of value out of um reading zig ziglar see you at the top i still think that's a profound book mm -hmm. um, about changing the way you think and about what you set in motion is okay. so important so i want i want you to weave that into the small business owners the business owners that are listening to this right so you've got that story where you've caught that revelation and you put something in motion um listening to this right now they could be driving running on a treadmill or whatever just chilling out um, we'd get a mix. We, you know, we've got people that listen to the show that do a hundred million a year. And we've got people that literally are about to start a business. What would you say to that spectrum of people in terms of taking their legacy a bit more seriously and thinking more generationally? There's a guy that, um, I loved his writings. He, he's, it's not a popular writer, but I loved it. He wrote a series of books. Um, I can't even remember his name, but <laughs> it really impacted me. I had a chance once, he's from Texas. I went went to America, um, went to Texas, went to meet him. And off the back of that, he built a school that he was teaching his, you know, his particular business acumen in. And, and I'm going, man, this is a serious building spot, you know? And he goes, yes, I built them so that they would still be here in 500 years. Um, and and he was quite an elderly guy. He was in his 70s then. And it just definitely changed, helped put another brick in that wall to go, as, believe, as as a Christian, I just think sometimes we've been, there's a fundamental, you know, we've been, the culture has been, Christ is returning soon. Mm -hmm. and, and so we don't make long-term plans. We make short to medium-term plans. We don't make long-term plans. So again, um, I just think no matter where you are on that journey, the $100 million business to $10 million, $1 million, or you're just starting, is don't just think about this year or this decade. Think about what, what make decisions that actually go, I'm setting something in motion that I will probably never bear the benefit of. When you do that, we're talking then about fundamentally about health you're making healthy decisions versus just trying to make something happen. Healthy decisions win every single time in my, in my experience. And so we can, I've done them. I've made mistakes. I've had businesses and they haven't done well and all these things. Um, and, you know, we're trying to push and shove and all that. But if you can just peel back and say, what's the, cause you know, business is all about making decisions. What's the, what's the healthiest thing I can do right now? Um, for this business, for me, um, you know, so I come back to then, then you'll start that legacy pathway. And I often think about, I've, I've got a dream. I had a dream a long time ago when I made that life insurance decision, I went, I'm going to start a family bank um, because I was sick of the 17% interest rates. So it's taken me a long time, but um, we're now in the point now where uh, our children and our grandchildren, we, we, um, you know, not on anything significant, not houses or anything like that, but if they wanted to buy a car or whatever, um, they come to the family bank and the family bank pays interest 
um, um, they have to pay interest on the loan. But again, keeping that capital, that interest cycling down through our generation, that's amazing. Uh, I think what I've set in motion now is hopefully in our in the generations to come in our family unit that they will be advantaged um, in a way. It, it's very difficult to pass wealth past three generations, um, almost impossible. Very few people can do it. Um, and I, I, I want to be one of those few. Love it. So we basically just heard from Pastor Mark then. So we've had, I think we've had, we've had entrepreneur Mark, we've had Pastor Mark, we've had husband Mark, we've had father Mark, and yet he's the same person. He just gets to kind of live in those different worlds and, and, and dance between all of his skills and talents and gifts and, and anointings and things like that, which I think is wonderful. The final question that I ask Mark for everybody is how is the kingdom advancing because of Mark Check's life? It's pretty simple. Is um, we're trying to build a strong, local, healthy church. Um, that's what Jesus said he is going to come back for. Um, to me, the church is the answer. Um, trying to get people to encounter their life and follow Jesus Christ. Our, our vision statement is follow Jesus and your tomorrow will be greater than today. And that's, that's what we're about. Um, but, you know, I genuinely believe in the depth and the strength of a strong, um, healthy, uh, I, I had that caveat, healthy community of faith. If you're not in a community of faith, I, I would question how far and and how long you can go um i just don't know that that you can do that on your own and so as difficult and i genuinely understand that as difficult as it can be to be in a community of faith i, I just highly encourage you to it, it, it's going to cost you something it's going to cost you some time energy surrendering sacrifice all those things but the outcomes far outweigh um, um the cost and so um, to me, the best thing I can do is advance Jesus Church. Love it. If somebody wanted to find out more about you, I know you're not really big on the social media thing, so uh, maybe the Centre of Excellence or, or the church. What's a URL that somebody can look you up on? Look, our church website is very simple, hopeuc.com. Hopeuc.com. I'm on there. Um, from a marketplace perspective, definitely the center of excellence. I'd highly encourage. We've got a number of courses there um, that I believe you can do online or in person um, that would, if any of these subjects has really stirred something in you, that'd be a great tool to add to your life. There's so many great resources. I know, Wes, you are a great asset to the kingdom and to this topic. I really appreciate your stand and your commitment to this mission. So well done to you. Thanks. Well, guys, you heard it there. That's, that's Mark's story. Uh, and, um, and I just think there are some real fundamental keys in there that you'll be able to draw from. Um, what were the things that jumped out to you? I want those comments uh, you know, in the comments section below. I literally want you to think, okay, what was the one thing that popped for you? Um, and then I want you to put it in the comments and I'll engage with you there. That gives me the feedback loop on where you're getting your value from these episodes. Mark, thanks so much for your time. You're such a blessing, uh, not only to the Central Coast, but obviously, you know, to the, to the global footprint that you've got. 
with the, with the business and with the church. And we're really grateful that you've given us your time today. Thanks, man. Bless you. Thank you. All right, guys, we'll see you for next week's episode. <laughs>